From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 255. Today's show is brought to you by Linode, ExpressVPN, and Moo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. Did you know that 255 in hexadecimal is FF? No. Hashtag Snell Talk question this week comes from Mark, and Mark wants to know, do you listen to podcasts in a particular order or pick and choose based on your mood? Oh, um, I have a primary, like, priority playlist that is my favorite shows and the, the you know, the most favoritist go to the top. And I definitely, uh, y- I'm usually in there, but there is an aspect of it based on my mood. I will sometimes pick and choose because... I will, especially when my favoritist ones are not, uh, they're already played. I will then uh, sometimes scroll around in that list based on mood. And then I do have another playlist that's got like the D&D podcasts in it. Hmm. And for those, I want to be, I tend to listen to those on like long drives, not when I'm just walking the dog. And I will go on a binge of those, of like Dragon Friends or Adventure Zone, or also it's not D&D, but like uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern is like that, where I will get into a run where I'll listen to a lot of them. And it's usually when I'm going to be spending a lot of time in a car, which I don't normally do. So that's that's how I do it. Yeah, I have a few shows like that now, where I, shows that aren't, that don't have a news component to them, so they won't outdate themselves. I will stack them up for traveling, especially if I'm right. going to be on my own when I travel. Like sure, a lot, then I will, I will do that. Um, but I manu- I manually manage my podcast playlist now, which used to be a thing I didn't do. Um, I used to do like the priority playlist stuff that you did, but now I just have an all unfinished and then a queue, like the two huh. different playlists. And in Overcast, and I will just kind of manually manage them. And I have, you know, they, they will they will automatically start playing the next episode, like when it's, it's done. But I'm pr- pretty much manually managing what I want based on how I'm feeling. Or what's most relevant for the time. So thank you so much to Mark for uh, submitting that Snell Talk question. Hashtag Snell Talk. Just send out a tweet with that hashtag mm-hmm. and you may be included for a future episode of the show to help us kick things off the first item of follow-up which jason's just entered because he's remembered having listened to me we, sh- we should probably explain that you're yeah. sick yeah i'm sick i you can hear my decline over my wednesday shows uh which was the pan addict then interconnected by the time connected came around i'd completely lost my voice uh well i was limited to one word at a time which was about the maximum that i could cope with it led to one of those classic connected moments a little yeah. bit. Not quite Federico doing a Weird Fish, but close. Yeah. Where where um, you became like the mysterious, mystical seer who could only answer in one-word pronouncements. Uh-huh. It so was it bad. was, you know, I know it was terrible for you, but it actually ended up being kind of a classic moment. Yep. Um, but yeah, quite a week, like the adventure of Mike of, uh, first our backward show downgrade and then the pen addict as you lost your voice and then connected with the one word Mike. So your voice is not a hundred percent, but hopefully we will make it through this episode. Yeah. meant speaking about downgrade, let's just reflect on last week's episode, our summer of fun, uh, was to reflect do... is the right word, right? It's sort of it, backward. There you go. It yeah. was to present an episode of Upgrade in Reverse. This was Upgradian Joe Steele's re- recommendation many, many months ago. 
Uh, me and Jason were very excited about this idea. So we did the episode in reverse. Um, people seemed to really like it, which was a surprise. I wasn't sure yeah, how people I, were going to take it. I, I thought I was going to get a lot of people... Uh, little armchair uh, podcast critic saying, oh, this is just too, it's too clever for its own good or whatever. And those people are probably out there, but they didn't send me any messages. So that yep. was great. P- instead, people said, this is great. I love it. And that was good. That was nice. To I hear. was scared to publish the episode because I was concerned that people were going to think something was broken. Why you put it in the podcast machine and it came out backward? Well, it was more that like they would press play, hear me say goodbye, and think something was wrong, or they would see that we flipped all the artwork upside down in all the chapters. So I was worried about these things. Nobody, I didn't get anybody tell me. I'm sure there were many upgradians pressed play and thought something was wrong, but it was quickly rectified, right? So, which is fine because that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted you to think something was broken, but immediately realize, oh, we're doing something silly. Um, I actually texted Marco because <laughs> when people think something's broken, yeah. they include the Overcast. It's account. always Marco. They, they 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 blame Overcast. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to just tell him because he knew we were doing this because we told him when he was the guest the previous week that this was what we were doing, and I just wanted to say, okay, not only are we doing that, I'm also flipping all the artwork upside down. Uh, so, you know, I wanted yeah. to just let him know. Yeah. It, it, um, and we, a couple of people were sort of like, wow, how did you, how did you do this? And the answer is we have a little document we go through and we just kind of reversed it. And yep. it, it was mostly not that hard, although there were definitely moments where like, well, wait a second, how, how should we do this? Because we had this sort of premise of, uh, keeping the segments forward, obviously, because that would be really weird if we just spoke everything backward and it was unintelligible. So the segments ran forward, but the, they were in the reverse order. And there were a few moments where, while we were recording, we're like, well, wait a second. Yeah. And well, the logic was broken by playing the music in reverse, but that was just too fun to not do. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was the summer of fun music backward is kind of creepy. It's great. Yeah. It's Love horrifying. It. Is what it is. I Summer did, of death. <laughs> so, it was very upsetting, uh, mm-hmm. but it was fun at the same time. So that was why we went with that. All right. I also have a little bit of follow up from the real world that I just want to oh. throw out there. So uh, your friend of mine, Dan Morin, uh, who uh, is my Six Colors compatriot and the host of the Clockwives podcast here at Relay FM, I want to send out a congratulations to him. Last weekend, uh, he got married. I got to go to the wedding. It was very nice. It was lovely in Boston. So congratulations to Dan and his new wife, Kat, uh, and their uh, their new married life together. Oh. And uh, the day before Dan got married, his nemesis, Scott McNulty, who has been on this show multiple times to talk about Kindles, he and his wife, Marisa, welcomed two new Kindle users into the world. Oh. Uh, she, they had, uh, they had twin, <laughs> twin boys. Wow. And the boys are doing well. Uh, Marisa had to be uh, in the hospital for a while before she gave birth just because uh, having big giant twins is complicated. It's a big giant problem. Yeah, but everybody is doing well. And there are new two new Kindle users slash Star Trek fans slash people who make uh can you know canned food in jars because that's what marisa does and uh and so congratulations to scott and marisa as well big big life moments for the nemeses dan and scott last week wow <laughs> scott was trying upstage dan I see. oh yeah yeah really i mean it's nice that they schedule it for the day before and not the day of the wedding because that would have been uh but but he did upstage dan in that way i suppose the babies came first very upstream focused episode today 
Um, mm. I have a bunch of upstream news, and we're going to be doing, guess what, everybody? A draft later on in today's episode of mm-hmm. streaming services. Summer we'll of get fun. to that a little later on. That's our summer of fun topic for today's show. Uh, but before, I have some news for you, Jason. Big news. Yes. Are you sitting down? Uh, I am, as always. Good, because Apple has renewed Carpool Karaoke for a third season. Ooh. Huh. Ooh. Sorry. <laughs> I need to compose myself a little bit. So uh, it is worth noting, this is important, right? Because people see, this is why I want to talk about this. People see this headline and then they tie it back in their brains again to Apple can't do TV. This is actually not going to be a part of Apple TV+. Plus. This is still going to exist in Apple Music, same as before. It's, it's, I, my assumption at this point is that Carpool Karaoke is actually not even in the organization of the video programming team. It is right. 100% in the organization of music, and they are doing this. Um, so I think, honestly, like if anybody was still holding on to this notion of we've seen what Apple can do with TV and they can't do it, I actually think this is proof of how how it's going to be different because they are renewing one of those shows, but it's not even going to be in TV+. Plus. Like It is an old team, which is a part of Apple Music, and it's yeah, And they're happy there. with it. They're happy with it. For whatever it does for them, they're happy with it enough. being part of it. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't renew it. Yeah, because they didn't renew Planet of the Apps, did they? But <laughs> I would expect that this is a low-budget show, and it's got big names on it, so people watch it. Uh, Carpool Karaoke is a good brand, even though Corden isn't on all of the episodes. So yeah, it works well for them. All right. Speaking of Apple, they've also released another trailer uh, they released a trailer for Snoopy in Space, a TV show uh, which is coming to Apple TV+. Plus. It's a part of their deal with Peanuts. This is one of the many uh, Peanuts-related Charlie Brown, Snoopy things that's going to exist. Um, Snoopy in Space, this is a, a quote, follows Snoopy as his dreams of being an astronaut become rea- reality when he and Woodstock tag along with the Peanuts gang on a field trip to NASA and are chosen for an elite mission into space. Of course they are. Why How wouldn't they, they not be? be? They're obviously the right people for the job. Hey, it's a fun peanut special. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a couple things going on. So, what? A few weeks ago, they did a For All Mankind trailer, the yep. Ron Moore space show, yep. and uh, trying to capitalize on the um, 50th anniversary of the moon landing, which was over the weekend. They released a video where it's basically they're using the bits of For All Mankind that are showing the american moon you know moon landing and the apollo mission which is not quite what the show is about but they use that stuff in an interview with ron moore and it it is like a salute to apollo on the 50th anniversary of the apollo 11 moon landing which i thought was an interesting way hey it's like hey we've got a show that is set at least partially during that time we don't know a lot about that show but we know a little bit about it and they i thought that was a nice way for them to kind of like craft something that lets them you know get awareness up of the fact that there's this Ron Moore show that's coming to Apple TV Plus this fall about space stuff. Um, and uh, I, I liked it because I thought it was uh, sufficiently appropriately honoring Apollo, even though the story goes a little differently in their show. Um, I do, I did have another thought, though, which is a little bit less charitable, which is it's got to be killing them, right, that this show isn't out because it's probably done and it's probably sitting there and it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And I keep thinking... If they want it, like this is you, you want this. The marketing campaign you could do right now, considering what this show is about, drop the first episode right now, and then say the rest of it's coming this fall. 
Because, oh, well. So again, if you don't remember, the, the conceit is that the Russians got to the moon first. Like, yeah, that's, that's where the show begins. Yeah, and that's, that's in the trailer. And, and so they imagine? keep. So the U.S. keeps oh. stepping up the the uh, the space race, and the space race continues. And that's the that's the story. Is what if the space race kept going? Because like the ads you could do, like you could do an ad, like a TV ad, that's like pretending to be some kind of like oh, like we're at a great, imagine this, remember this great time? And then it shows like a Russian flag and it's like, oh, yeah. shock factor, right? That's like, in the trailer. That's how right. the trailer does it. Not this other this other video. But like you could do it now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. It must be killing them that they can't do it. Yeah, I've got to wonder if that was actually part of the original conception of the show was like, oh, this is perfect and we can get it out right around the 50th of, of the moon landing. And th- nope, not going to happen. Oh, well. Um, there is something that I noticed in these trailers that I haven't seen the, the wording before. Um, both of these trailers or these videos open with the phrasing an Apple original. Yes. I've, I've just not seen them call it that before. And uh, it's also, I don't know why it's not Apple TV Plus original, but like uh, you do you, right? Uh, it's interesting to me, right? That they're not, I know it's all coming from the same company, but Apple TV Plus is the only place you can get this content. So why is mm-hmm. it not an Apple TV Plus original? I know that's not as nice to say, but it would look fine and you'd get the logo more. But, you know, whatever. But yeah, I agree. Like, oh, whatever. what a shame they can't have this go up now. They should just publish the first episode on YouTube. Like, I know. Just do it. I know. Just do it. Whatever. Never mind. Netflix have seen a drop in subscribers after price increases. So they had an earnings call. That's talking about earnings calls for streaming services is not a thing I want to do a lot, but there are a few things in this particular quarterly earnings for Netflix which are interesting considering everything we've been speaking about this month. So they lost 130,000 subscribers in the US and missed their international targets by 2 million, which is very big. This is their first decline in eight years. The last time that Netflix had a subscriber decline was Quickster when they tried to split the Uh company in half which was hilarious. It's like such a blunder from them. Um, that This does mean that they have 151 million paying subscribers right now, which is a lot of people. Um, they are blaming a weaker content slate during the quarter as the reason, but they also put up their prices during this time. So it's a bit of both, I think. Right. Um, they have forecast huge gains for Q3, 800,000 new subscribers in the US and 6.2 million internationally. I mean, that seems great. It means they would miss, they would fix what they missed, but that seems incredibly aggressive considering they just missed out on this quarter. Exactly. But one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is they are specifically asked about friends in the office, right? which we know it shows that they're losing. Netflix is saying they're trying to kind of like brush us off by saying it will give them more budget for original shows, which is, I mean, fine, but like you could find that budget elsewhere, surely. And they also said, from what we've seen in the past, when we drop strong catalog content, our members shift over to enjoying our other great content. They also said that no single show makes up for more than a single percentage of their overall viewing. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think there's truth in that. They've probably done some research about what happens when a a viewer of a catalog show drops off and how do their viewing habits change? I mean, they've got data scientists. They do, I'm I'm sure that they've done the analysis of of what happens. That said, I think of my daughter watching The Office on an endless loop on Netflix. This is it. I think like, I agree that the data is correct, but I I know you're spinning this. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's truth in it, but I think there's also the the fact that it probably they probably shift over to other Netflix content and reduce the amount of hours they're using Netflix, which in the long run, as long as they keep paying, is okay, but it does decrease the perceived value of of Netflix. I still think it's sort of Netflix's game uh, here. They're they're they've got this huge catalog. Even when they lose parts of it, they're number one in streaming, but. Let's keep in mind they missed. Oh, by the way, I love that the they, a weaker content slate. They're basically like throwing up the uh, the the stuff from the last three months under the proverbial bus, which right? is like, what oh. I thought that was a crazy thing to say. It is pretty. Blame well. it on putting the prices up. Just blame it on that. You have a good excuse. Yeah, but they want to. They don't. They want to justify the prices going up. They don't want to do that, so they just kind of blame the content. But the next content apparently is going to be. But great. what they've said is we're charging you more for worse content. Yeah. So uh, there's that. Also, let's not keep it, or let's remember to keep in mind, they missed their target. They lost subscribers. They claim they're going to make it up, but it's, you know, their their strategy has been a growth strategy. Netflix's strategy is spend huge amounts of money, which they borrow. I mean, they're they're going into debt, spending billions on content because they do like four billion dollars a year in revenue, which a, a quarter or something in revenue, which does not seem like enough. Yeah, so so they're they're borrowing money in order to get uh, uh, audience acquisition because the idea is that the Netflix and, and it's worked for the most part. Like they have a huge subscriber base, people who are giving them money, and the idea is over the long run, those people are going to give them a huge amount of money, and they need to fill the catalog with stuff that they control for that moment that's about to come when all the stuff's going to drop off the catalog from other people, and the competition's going to going to be out there and they've done a pretty good job but i think what's interesting is this sign of weakness is happening now when (laughs) the big competition hasn't Mm -hmm. started yet and it makes me you know i'm not saying that netflix is going to go down i'm saying that netflix is showing weakness before disney comes in before hbo max comes in and nbc this is blood in the water right now yeah and, and so this they are what this what i walk away because i'm not making charts about netflix earnings or anything like that but i look at this and i think this is vulnerability from number one in a way that we didn't really maybe expect to see it so soon and we know that the competition competition is about to get a lot stiffer and their catalog is to get is going to get a lot thinner and that makes me think well this is going to be interesting in 2020 isn't it just to see how netflix deals with dramatically increased competition and i don't think uh they're going to fall apart or anything like that but i do think there's a question also in the long run how how much content um, spending are they going to be able to do in the long run once they've reached a point where they're not growing as much? Are they going to have to scale back their content? And what does that do to their competition? So fascinating uh, to see the weakness of Netflix now before the you know Disney services even come in. Yeah, they didn't need this right now because I can't imagine the rest of their year going much better for them. I th- I th- I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to see where it goes, but th- I agree. This is like... You didn't want it right now. Um, BritBox. We spoke about this a while ago. BBC and ITV's joint subscription service, which is uh, something that's in the US. It is going to be coming to the UK. They have announced the joint streaming service will be launching in Q4 of this year for £5.99 a month. £5.99 per month. Um, It will show current and classic content. Basically, you get stuff with no ads. That's current. And you get classic stuff that you can't stream on on the network's free services. 
I think six pounds a month is too expensive for this content, um, but we'll see. Yeah, it's we talked about this when it launched in the U.S. and and I know you had your uh, your your skepticism there, but you were really also wondering about rage. the U.K. Yeah, yeah. So here <laughs> it is. Here it is. Where the current stuff is going to be just you know you get it um, with no ads and 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 then there's all the all the classic stuff that is not currently available and you know what this is and it's in the name, but especially for people in the U.K., what this is is people don't buy DVDs anymore. So how do you get value out of and make available all this old content and this is bbc and itv and apparently they're talking to other broadcasters in the uk to talking to channel four about this but um you know i i think having competition for netflix and amazon in the uk and having bbc and itv do this with some of their stuff like we'll we'll see how it goes i i do think that i believe the premise which is people don't buy dvds anymore so what do you do Instead, and the answer is, well, this is the stuff we used to sell on DVD, and now we're going to put it on a streaming service. But rather than licensing it to Netflix, they're going to put it on their own thing. And I don't know. ITV is basically running it, and they own like 90% of it. They do, yeah. But BBC, where they share in the US or in North America, because it's in Canada too, um, they're going to, like ITV is basically running it. Because the rules around the BBC are a lot more complicated in, in the UK, right? Because they're a public broadcaster, and there's a lot of stuff that just goes on iPlayer. And my impression is this is the... This is another collection of stuff, and it's the stuff that's not on iPlayer, and it's not licensed, and the only way it used to go out was basically by selling Blu-rays or DVDs of this stuff, and, and those sales are, are mostly down. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical about this one. Like, I don't think that this is close to Netflix value. Yeah. Oh, and it makes it makes more sense in North America in a way because then it's like, look at all this great British content that you don't know about or can't get. You can't get. But in the UK, it's sort of just like ITV and the BBC have decided. Well, we don't really want to take money from Netflix if we can take money directly from the consumers. So we're going to build our own thing. It is. It is the equivalent in some ways of what's happening in the US where people are saying, why are we giving this to Netflix and Amazon? We should set up our own thing. But whether it'll work in the UK market remains to be seen. Yeah, I think one of the bigger problems is that all of the new stuff, which is the stuff people will probably want more, you can watch for free. Like especially right. the BBC stuff, there are no ads. So what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I wonder if they will do originals too, which is not something Britbox has been a catalog thing but would they would they try to do some original programming i'd be surprised they need content for the actual broadcast television well th- well that's it like if itv is going to pay for a show they're probably going to want to like show it on itv yeah so i'm this one's a wow. big question mark for me i can see why they're doing it because it's probably not going to cost them a lot to try because they already have an, ex- an existing business well, and if it's anything like britbox in the u.s or in north america um, it is a place for the catalog and anything that is um, expensive and high profile is not on BritBox in the yeah. U.S. It's well, I on can imagine Netflix or Amazon. People signing up for a week or two to watch a show that they want to watch, right? Because then you pay like six pounds and you get the back catalog of The Office and you watch it and you're done uh, and that's it. But. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I'm going to keep huh? my eye on this one. I'm, one of the okay. reasons I want to talk about it is because it's finally something outside of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, like, how about that? But I don't want that? it, which is a real shame. 
All right, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Moo, the online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. Moo is having a semi-annual sale right now. It's live on moo.com slash relay, and it's from uh, July 17th to July 23rd, so you've got a couple of days left when you're listening to the show. I have 25% off of everything. This excludes shipping and gift cards, but this makes it the perfect time to reorder and stock up or design something completely new. Moo rarely has sales like this, especially at 25% off, so you don't want to miss out. So go to moo.com slash relay right now, and you can check out their full suite of products that includes business cards and posts cards, invitations and letterhead, stickers, notebooks, flyers, so you can seamlessly promote yourself and your brand. You can count on the quality of Moose products. They have special finishes like gold foil, new silver foil, raised spot gloss, and letterpress. With that 25% discount, maybe now's the time to reorder your business cards, but add a bit of flair to them. Why not put some foil on there and you can really stand out from the crowd. And if you don't fancy designing your own card, Moo have recently rolled out some beautiful new template options for business cards, which are inspired by their most creative customers, so you will be able to make your card shine and, as I say, really stand out. Um, Also, Moo's notebooks are really good. I love their notebooks and use them myself. And at 25% off for the quality of those books, even if you're not personalizing them, it's definitely worth checking out. So once again, moo.com, M-O-O.com slash relay. Go there now and save 25%. That's until July 23rd, so do not waste any time. Our thanks to Moo for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Apple, uh, well, Apple may be expanding into exclusive podcasts, according to Bloomberg. Mm. They published a report saying that they are reaching out to various media and podcasting companies about creating content that will be exclusive to Apple Podcasts. Quote from the uh, Bloomberg report, Apple has yet to outline a clear strategy, but has said it plans to pursue the kind of deals that it didn't make before. So this is something like we're seeing, we were talking about this just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Mm -hmm. What incentive does Apple have to do this? Like Spotify, we believe, and it seems pretty clear. I mean, they've said it, actually. They're doing this because of music royalties, right? Their music royalties are too high because they have to keep paying out, right? So they want to get some content that is either their own or they're buying in, and then they they can have it forever, and they can even make money on it, right, if it's advertising focused, which it still can be if they want to. And then they have people in their platform giving them money, spending time on the system, and they're not having to pay royalties on that content. So they create exclusive shows to try and bring more people into the platform, etc., etc. Apple's not doing it this way, in theory. They don't charge for <laughs> Apple Podcasts as it is right now. I mean, we can yeah. get into Podcast Plus in a second, but like just like on the face of it, the incentive seems very different to other companies that are doing this kind of thing, right? Apple don't need to claim market share either because they have half of the market to themselves. So yeah, what is the incentive? I'm not sure they're losing a lot. I mean, the, Apple's percentage share is going down because there are other companies like Spotify pushing up, but I'm not sure that that's actually Apple losing people as much as it people, is. Apple, yeah. Apple uh, you know, probably still growing, but also uh, the, the total pie is growing a little bit faster. I do think, you know, you could make the argument that even though Apple's got separate apps, every minute listened to podcasts on an Apple device is a minute not listened to Apple Music. And so there might be some savings just in having the percentage of time people listen to Apple Music be a little bit less. The difference there is, of course, that um, 
if you're not listening to Apple Music as much, you might feel like the perceived value of Apple Music goes down and you might lose some customers if they're really into podcasts and they don't need music. I don't know if that's plausible or not. Um, what is indisputable is that Apple has a huge amount of leverage here because they have the most popular podcast app. And they have up to now not done anything with that leverage, right? Like they they are a tiny group inside of Apple, but a huge presence in the podcast world. That And they haven't well, taken like, advantage of their directory or their app or their, or their market share. the podcast world, right? Like let's they, remove from our typical thinking, right? If there is advertising, which is happening more and more, right, for podcasts, people say, they they print it on billboards, they put it in newspaper ads, find it on Apple Podcasts. Like, to the wider world, podcasting is Apple's thing. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got got the power. And I think, so if we talk about the incentive, I think the incentive probably starts with somebody saying, look, we have this huge power base in this market. And have done nothing in the 14 years that we've basically been uh, ruling podcasting. We've done nothing to take advantage of that power. And now you're seeing money pour in from all these other players trying to mess it up, trying to take away some of our advantage. And uh, they think there's an opportunity here. So whether we're playing defense or whether we just think that there's a missed opportunity here... You know, I could see somebody inside Apple saying, you're investing what in television where you have no leverage (laughs) and we are the big fish in podcasting and all these other people are investing. Spotify is spending half a billion dollars on podcast stuff and we are the ones who are the big fish there. So you want more services revenue. Why are we not finding some way to drive services revenue with this? Now, Services revenue can go in a bunch of different ways. It could simply be accumulative to something like Apple Music, where there's a few, uh, there's either audio content that's actually in Apple Music or it's in the podcast app too, but you can only listen to it if you're an Apple Music subscriber, right? They could do that or, and I say this because we keep not believing that they're going to add more more services to their menu and they're going to start bundling things together, but they just keep adding services. Maybe that they make a podcast service too. I mean, that's an option. But I think in the end, it comes down to those two things, which is we have a lot of power in this market that we have not exerted. And we're looking for ways to increase our services revenue. And somebody with probably a business degree inside Apple making the case, uh, Mm -hmm. why are we not investing in this when we have so much potential return because of our position of power? And, And also, like, you have a huge market share in a growing business. You have to. Yeah. You're doing not. You you do, on the scale of things compared to other companies have to do nothing to keep. Everybody else is investing money, but you have yeah. to do nothing, and you've still got it. People keep uh, talking about podcasting, and and there are always these stories about like, is it a bubble or is it uh, is it uh, has its moment passed? But all the stats suggest that this is it's it's a little bit like saying, oh, the web. It's going to go away and newspapers are forever. It's like, no, this is a long-term move to on-demand audio um, where it's going to continue pulling people away from things like radio for things like podcasts and audiobooks. And that that's just, it's happening. And it, there's a huge, it's an under-monetized business, as you know, like when you do the analysis of how, who's listening, digital advertising in general has dramatically lagged its popularity and um, and it takes a long time to catch up and podcasts are on the upswing. So you look at your Apple and you're like, we rule this market. 
and we're making no money from it beyond the ancillary benefits of having podcasts be something that makes people love using their iPhones or whatever. Like it's very tenuous. Um, and you've got this position, so maybe you don't use it. I could, I can totally see the argument. The question is what happens then, right? Like, all right, you got power, you see opportunity, you want to make money for your services line, especially now what? And I think that's, I think that's an interesting question because I don't think there's a one right answer that obviously pops out. Because on the face of it, I think to myself, Podcast Plus seems unlikely, right? Like that they have another, they have another service that you pay for and you get content. But news isn't compelling, right? (laughs) They made that a service. And they did that. And and like that was one where everyone was like, oh yeah, they're going to do the Apple News thing, but you'll get it as part of a bundle. But no, they're just charging for it. And like there may be a bundle that we haven't come across yet. I still think there will be, but it will that that service will be ava- would have been available for like six months on its own for not really much. And like there could be something to do. I I wish I could give credit to the person I saw say this. Um, so I'm sorry to whoever it was, and I don't remember where I saw it or heard it. But like they could really do a good job in creating the watch-along podcasts of the TV shows that they're making. So you mentioned the, what's the Good Place one called? Oh, it's the Good Place, the podcast. But yeah, uh, yeah, or you think about like... um, Oh, Stephen said it on Connected. (laughs) That's where, the show that I do. He was talking about the Better Call Saul podcast as well, which is another one, right? That you could have it as a thing. You could, although I keep thinking, you know, that would also be a video program you could put on Apple TV Plus, right? Like literally Mm -hmm. do a video after show, and then you could podcast that too. Um, And yeah, that that could be, uh, that's not something people are going to pay for, but that would be uh, promotional material that they could use. Um, You're right though, like news, News Plus gives me pause that maybe Apple's, strategy is they want everything to be its own service and then there will be a bundle or something that will happen as well but like they want they don't want confusion of like well i want these podcasts why do i have to buy music i don't want the music i want the podcast it's like all right well you can buy the podcast but you'll also get it if you're an apple music subscriber or something like that they could they could do that one of the differences between podcasts and news is that news didn't require apple to give anybody any money they were just like we're going to give you a cut of this, but podcasts because of it, they're more like TV in that sense of like you need people to make them if they're going to be yeah. exclusive to you. You have to commission right. them, and that is a pay. We will pay you some money and then hopefully make it back. That makes it from a business model perspective a little bit different. Yeah, and as we talked about um, when we were talking about Luminary, especially, but also Spotify, there, there is a challenge of bringing anything behind a paywall. Um, and Marco talked about this when he was here. Um, the what do you drag behind a paywall? Like if you drag a popular show behind a paywall, they may write you a big check, but you're going to lose a huge chunk of your audience, and that's also going to impact you in other ways. You you can you know you can cash that check and feel better about it, but like your audience growth over time is going to be severely restricted because people aren't going to be able to discover your show anymore unless they're a paid member of a very specific um, service. And your merch sales are going to go down because you've got fewer fans, even though you're getting paid a lot from the service and your live uh, tour is not going to sell out 
because you've lost a lot of people who don't listen now that you're charging for your content. So taking an existing property and dragging it behind a paywall is hard. Most well-known people already have that are, are already cashing in and being being paid or or having big advertising things. So you're really talking about like new original content from studios. This is why Spotify bought Gimlet, right? It's like we're going to make new podcasts that are going to be buzzworthy and people are going to talk about. They're not hung on celebrities. They're not existing shows. And you can do that. And, you know, I, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's just what Apple wants is that they want to create some buzzy podcasts that live in, in Apple Podcasts and aren't available elsewhere. I also wouldn't put it past them entirely, even though this goes against the whole idea of the services narrative, wouldn't put them past entire, entirely to just make some podcasts that are branded as Apple Podcasts and put the them thing. in the podcast app and promote the podcast app. And they could still be regular podcasts, but they'll use them to imply that they're best listened to in the podcast app. I, I think that that's very wishful thinking. I think anything they do, it will be only <laughs> an Apple podcast. They won't, it won't be anywhere it's else. It's hard not to believe that that would be what they would do. There is, I can't see the, the business degree person coming up with that part of the idea but what i no. will say you so here's the thing when you were saying put it behind a paywall and we we're talking about it right put it behind a paywall you lose your audience what if it's just a wall you don't pay and that's different because right. it's just it's a it's a apple podcast exclusive yeah and you could you could call mark Marin and you could say mark we're gonna give you a bunch of money and you're exclusive to us now and why would apple do it just because and they could do it with um they could make different deals, right? They could take there's original content that could say, make it for us. There's uh existing podcasts that you throw behind the wall that's not a paywall. You say this is now an exclusive. And you can also do another thing that a lot of these companies are doing, which is the ancillary stuff, which is, you know, hey, John August and Craig Mason, what if we wrote you a big check to put script notes, all the stuff that you're currently selling like to third to premium patreons or whatever like we just want it on apple podcasts and they'll just all be there or your the magic tavern spinoff i know they've already got a deal with with uh spot or with the earwolf and stitcher but like they could do there are lots of different deals that could be made here the question is like which ones are they going to do but i think you make a, a good point which is the the business school person is not going to say let's give it away and it's just a podcast that anyone can get but you could say it's free but only in apple podcasts and what does that do it does not give you services revenue but it does make apple Podcasts. it it provides a little bit of defense against people switching away from the podcast app if they're concerned about that um which is nice but you're now you're spending millions of dollars on something just to keep your app that already exists and i mean it is a platform thing because it's not available on windows but and it's not available on android it's not available anywhere but on apple stuff but still you're not g- directly generating any revenue from that. And I, 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 it could happen, but I have a hard time seeing it because it, it is really hard to put down that lens of Apple wants to grow services revenue when you hear about them spending money on content. I know this is strange and I don't, uh, I don't understand why they would do it particularly, but they could just flex it, right? They just put the money behind it. They could. that. I wouldn't put it past them. They've got them. They've got all the money. They've got huge dominance. And and it, what it does is it says, I know Spotify wants you to listen to all your podcasts in Spotify, but you don't want to do that. You want to listen to all your podcasts where you are. Let's not forget who that company is for a minute. Apple and Spotify do not like each other. 
And I wouldn't put it past them to just be like, there is a side benefit of causing pain to Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that would be part of the defense would really be, um, you know, you want to stay. You don't want to move all your podcasts out of Apple Podcasts to Spotify. You want to stay here. And here's another reason to stay here is that there's extras that you get that you don't get anywhere but in this app. Maybe. Hmm. It is just going to be a shame to see non-podcast podcast content, more of it coming from Apple, especially because they have, they you know, they kind of helped kick the medium off and have been very true to it over time. They've never done anything really weird. They still really like, they accept, like everything is based on RSS. There's nothing strange going on in Apple's app, right? Like it's all RSS based. It would, I think it would just be a shame to see them have these podcasts that aren't really podcasts. Yeah, because fundamentally, if you can't paste a URL into a podcast app of your choice and listen to it, it's not a podcast, right? It's premium audio, audio content. content. Yeah. And it's not a podcast anymore. And and I know people roll their eyes at that when podcasters say it's not a podcast, but like if you can't load a thing in a web browser that you choose, it's not on the web. And that's the point here is if you can only load it in an app, it's not a website anymore. It's an app. And there is a difference in the open web. The beauty of the open web is everybody puts their stuff on the web and you get a web browser and you point it at that site and you can read it. And it doesn't really matter with some exceptions that are going away uh, generally. Uh, It doesn't really matter whether you use Safari or Chrome or Firefox or Edge or anything else. It's just a web page and you load it. And when you break that and say, oh, we're doing this thing, but you can't see it on the web. You must use our app to see it. That's the only way it can be done. You do lose something. You lose choice as a, as a consumer. You lose, like, I've got everything else bookmarked, but I can't bookmark you. I've got to open this weird app in order to see your stuff. And it's, uh, that's not great. And that, that's why it's not a podcast if you, if you do this. It's something else. It's audio content that's walled off in one app. It's not open anymore it's uh you don't get to choose anymore and that you do lose something there and i think that's a shame and i think the truth is and i mentioned this in my macro piece this week is the, the um the thing that i brought up i think two weeks ago which is like i, I subscribe to the sports site the athletic and they have podcasts and they're podcasts i want to listen to and i never literally never listen to them because they're not an overcast and i'm not interested in opening their app because i'm in the context of listening to a podcast so if you use apple podcasts this is great but as an overcast user i look at this and i'm like oh man am i really gonna open apple Podcasts app every so often just to listen to their premium whatever probably not knowing my track record with other stuff that i get and i pay for that i don't bother listening to because it's in the wrong context that would be the case here so but then again, the flip side of that is the stickiness of it, which is that, again, if you are an Apple podcast and you have these podcasts, you're not going to leave. I'm very intrigued to see what comes of this, if anything. If anything, I think that the key point that you made earlier uh, from the Bloomberg article where they said Apple has yet to outline a clear strategy. I chuckled at that because it's like that may mean Apple has no idea. And it's just investigating. There could like, be an why don't you call phase. some guys up and see what it costs? Like, see what it costs. What would it cost to do it? Come yeah. back and rep- the that business school guy that we've invented, who <laughs> works somewhere at Apple, and he's got a tie, and he and and they they tell him, Jimmy, go call Jimmy with the tie. Go call some people. 
and find out what a podcast costs because, you know, we don't know. So find out and then report back and then we'll see if we have a budget for this or not. It may be something, I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous, but like a scenario like that where they're, they're just feeling it out then they, and they don't really know and internally what they really want to do. Because the way the Bloomberg article has said, it's very much investigatory. Now, maybe they're playing it close to the vest and they're like, oh, don't tell anybody what we're doing because that's Apple. But I don't know. I get just this little inkling from the way that's mm. worded that like, Maybe Apple doesn't even know what, what the right I would move expect is here. it is incredibly early because I follow enough uh, and pay attention to enough podcast industry trade press to know the podcast industry cannot keep their mouth shut. Any little yep. thing that happens, someone's telling someone. It's like TV in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. too, it's too media. Clearly witness this Bloomberg article. <laughs> technology, the technology industry is not like this, right? Where like things right. things leak out, but it's... It's trickier. The podcast industry, you know, people will talk. People talk quick. They talk fast, yep. right? Like we all found out about the, the Gimlet thing way before Spotify wanted to talk about it, right? Like there was a lot of that sort of stuff. It is an industry like a lot of other media industries where uh, people have people, people need their uh, press contacts. So they are yep. very uh, giving with information when they get it. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. In seconds, you can get everything up and running with your own choice of distro, resources, and node location as well. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system. Linode are the people to go to. They offer the fastest hardware and network options available, and they have outstanding customer support right there in case you need any help. It's so easy to launch a Linode cloud server. They have block storage available right now in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon in Tokyo as well. And version 4 of Linode's REST API is out of beta, and it includes an officially supported Python command line interface as well. Linode are hiring at the moment. If you want to find out more about this, go to linode.com slash careers and you can check out exactly what they're looking for. But if you're listening to this and you think, you know what, I'm a, I'm a nerdy person, I think I would like to check that out, linode.com slash careers, and you can fit right in, I bet. Linode has pricing options to suit all of their customers. Their plans start with just $5 a month to get you a server with a gigabyte of RAM, and they have high memory plans as well, starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode has a wonderful offer for listeners of this show. Just go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019, and you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. So if you sign up for their one gigabyte of RAM plan, you get four free months of service. They have a seven-day money-back guarantee as well. You have nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. And thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Jason, what is the streaming services draft? Well, it's a dumb idea for the summer of fun. Summer like, of fun? That's what it is. Summer of fun. Don't do that. You're going to kill your voice. If yeah, you, I, if was, you I was very I'll, upset I'll today when I realized I couldn't give the summer of fun its full gusto. It's true. It's true. Um, I thought it would be fun on the summer of fun to do another draft or two. Um, there may yet be another one this summer. Who knows? Depending on, on who and when and where. Uh, but I thought since we do a bunch of upstream stuff, maybe we could do a streaming services draft with the idea there that you and I would try to imagine ourselves in the future, maybe a year from now, year and a half from now, end of 2020, let's say, and try to imagine what streaming services we think 
are the most compelling. Just to give ourselves a little bit of a reference point of like what we personally as consumers will find the most interesting in terms of what's available out there for streaming services. Things are going to change in the next few months, so we're going to kind of put put this in the future. And it serves those two purposes of of sort of like ranking sort of where we think these these services will fall in a year, year and a half. Um as well as, you know, our personal preferences about what we find compelling in terms of streaming. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Pro- hmm, I'm I'm not convinced, but we're going to do it anyway. Now, you've been very kind in giving me first pick, which I appreciate I, yes. greatly, which is helpful to me because there are there is a selection. We have we have a list that we're picking from that Jason's put together. There are streaming services in this list that I've literally never heard of before. So, Maybe we can talk about some of those. Um, That's the world of the streaming service, isn't it? So we're imagining it's 2021, right? What streaming service do I think will be the most compelling? This probably feels like an easy answer, but I I was actually struggling to pick between two. But I am going to go with Disney Plus as my my top (gasps) pick. Why? Why not Netflix? Why is it Disney Plus? Right. So this is what I was thinking of. Now, the the reason that I decided Disney Plus over Netflix is... Honestly, the price. So Disney Plus will be cheaper and their content offering is going to be very strong. Um, Like we're presuming at this point that they will have some of their Marvel shows and some of their Star Wars shows, the original content Uh that they're producing will be available. And I think people are going to want those, let alone just the movies or like all of the incredible amount of content that that disney have been buying up over the last few years but i think the marketing push that they're going to have behind it with the content and the price it's going to everyone's i i genuinely think the amount of people like you know how we feel like everyone you know subscribes to netflix they're going to think everyone you know subscribes to disney plus as well it will just become one of the one or two services that most people want to have in their homes because it's disney disney own all the good stuff so why would you not want it? They have all of the properties you love. They have all the properties your kids love, right? Like, I think that's going to be a huge thing in families. Disney Plus has the content that kids want to see. And I think that that is going to be a massive boom for them, as well as all the other stuff that you're going to want. And all the, you know, the, the programming that's, that's tailored to everybody. So I think Disney is going to, Disney knows what they have available to them. And they decided to price it cheaply. Because they, I think they know if they do, they can capture everybody. I, it's super compelling. And let's not forget that, at least for a little while, it's going to be very, very cheap compared to other services. It's going to be like the cost of one of these add-on services that is just like, Isn't oh, it the same price as BritBox, five ninety nine. Yeah, I mean, this, that's <laughs> right, all oh, of those services on. that are like, oh, just, we're not Netflix. Just toss this one in. We're a, we're a bonus. And, and, and you just add it in there. Yeah. Yeah, and the the properties are amazing, right? Uh, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, even throw in like National Geographic in there, which has a lot of great um, nature content and science content. Mm-hmm. Um, it's awfully compelling. And the difference between this and some of the other services from the big players is that Disney has been working up to this for a few years now. Mm-hmm. They've known that this was going to be their strategy, whereas your NBC Universals and your... Uh, Warner Media's HBO Max is, boy, you know, they they seem to have gotten the message that this was the strategy much more recently. 
Yep. And it will take them much longer to unravel all of their unravel their deals that they made like Harry Potter is going to be at some at NBC Universal even though we Warner owns it until 2025. Okay. That's bad and there's nothing they can do about it so they're going to have to wait that out. And uh and and also they got to crank up as we've seen watching Apple do this. Their uh development of original material. Like you can't just flip a switch and have a whole catalog of originals rolling out onto your network or your st- service. It takes years, you know, it takes more than a year really to make deals or put shows in development and then get them ready to go and ready to roll out. And so Disney's been playing the long game here better than most of their competitors. And that's why I think we all expect that that service is going to be way more fully formed. Not a hundred percent. They've still got some deals that have to lapse, but way more fully formed than maybe HBO Max and whatever NBC Universal does. And it is also worth noting we're talking about 2021 here. Disney Plus will be worldwide by the end of 2021. A lot of these other yeah. services probably won't be. And that is, and when we're looking at like what is the strongest, what is the most popular streaming service by the end of that time period, that puts Disney at an advantage because like we, we'll talk about HBO Max, I'm sure, shortly. They have no, no word on international <laughs> rollout. And I mean, it's going to take Disney some time, but they're going to do it. And I think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, Joe and the uh, our friend Joe Steele, who is uh, responsible for the down, the downgrade episode, by the way, just going to mention that again. Um, asked if if the goal is to make a popular list or a profitable list, and yeah, profits. I mean, as Netflix has shown us, profits is not what we're looking at here. We're we're I'm approaching this as each of us gets to choose what we subscribe to, and if somebody else takes one, then we don't get to subscribe to that one, <laughs> which has the effect of it being popularity yeah. or whatever like appeal however you want to put it we're t- in the end we're going to get a rank list of appeal here and disney plus is going to be at the top which is very interesting i'm going to go netflix next uh because i was giving you netflix and you didn't take it uh and so i'm going to take it and it is as as i said earlier right like they're showing signs of being a little bit shaky this is why i didn't the- pick it because i like the cat I-, I love netflix's original stuff but I love a lot of their catalog stuff, and they're losing so much of that. It makes Netflix yeah. a little less appealing to me. Like I'm going to keep it because like I love their originals, right? And I'm sure they're just going to keep building on those. But I, I think that it is losing its shine a little. Well, first off, you don't get to keep it because I took it. Well, okay, uh, <laughs> until 2021, and until Jason takes it away from me. Uh, yeah, yeah, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle it away. Also, I am less a catalog viewer of Netflix than I am of originals, okay. so I'm, I I uh, it doesn't bother me as much. But I will say this: I think it is going to be overstated about how much catalog content Netflix is going to lose because Netflix has an enormous audience, and that creates value for catalog content. And these companies like huh. Warner. And NBC, they they have to offer those shows for sale. And that's the reason why Friends was $100 million or whatever it was. And the, the second best offer was $90 million. Um, they have to do that for some legal reasons. Like there are people who make money, people who made the show or starred in the show, make money based on the sales price of the licensing. And so they can't like write themselves a check for $5 and 
and be like, haha, we bought it for five dollars. They have to they have to show legally that they put it up and they made a, they they found the market price for it. Uh, and while they'll bite the bullet on something like Friends or The Office in the case of Warner and NBC, because it's super high profile and very popular, and they want it as a major part of the of their assets of their new thing. There's going to be a lot of stuff that they own that that Warner owns or NBC owns that they're going to put out and Netflix is going to be like, we have such scale that this is worth 50 million to us. And NBC is going to go, "Mm, you can have it because it's just not going to be worth it to them and it'll be worth it to Netflix. So I think, I think Netflix is not going to lose as much catalog as you might think, which is just just putting it out there uh but i do think that they have been playing this game the longest (laughs) and they've got great originals and while they are hurting from losing a lot of catalog stuff as well as deals with places like marvel where you know they had to end that relationship they have been busily acquiring other stuff and i think that they i i think as much as we talked about them having a little wobble here I think they're going to go into this fall and next year being more motivated than ever by the competition. And I, so I do think we're going to see Netflix kind of change their strategy a little bit. They've been able to coast, believe it or not. This is Netflix coasting because they haven't had as much serious competition. And now they will, and I think they're going to up their game. So that's why I'll pick them second. I'm going to go with HBO Max. Now, All right. I'm just going to assume that uh, either I'm American or I can get You're it. American. Uh, yeah. You live in a magical American location, enclave inside of London, where the Upgrade podcast lives. Uh, HBO just has, outside of Disney, the best catalog content available. Um, I mean, even if you don't even think about the fact that it's Warner Media and what that will mean eventually, I'm talking like just HBO, you know, like some of the best TV shows right. ever made. Uh-huh. HBO shows and people like to watch them. Like I, I like to watch Sopranos every couple of years, and I would like to not have to keep buying all of this stuff, right? Like that, it, like we just rewatched Veep again. It's a wonderful TV show, like and you know. So I, I, I think that it's going to continue to be good for them, especially like Game of Thrones and all that kind of stuff, right? They continue to build good properties that they have available to them, and having those catalog shows available is great, but. Having access to the overall Warner Media catalog over time, right? Because we spoke about this, they won't get all of it. I just think that's going to be great for them. They're going to be able to put originals there. They have a very strong uh, tie with people that can make that good content, right? That like maybe a lot of these yeah. other services don't have or companies don't have. It's Warner, right? Like they can make it happen. So I think that HBO Max, and again, like there's a very strong brand. Right, HBO is a very strong brand, mm-hmm. which is why that Warner's putting all of their weight behind the HBO brand. I, I know that it's a service that I would want. I think it's a service a lot of people are going to want. Yeah, I think um, people already pay for HBO, right? I think I think they are um, doing the right things, but they are going to be hamstrung for a while by bad decisions made by the previous management and the yep. previous yep. owners. But I, I do think that they are so strong and they have the wherewithal to really uh, make something compelling. And using the HBO brand is not a bad place to start. And their catalog is going to be really solid uh, as somebody who's an HBO subscriber already. Like that's a great place to build from. And then you pour in content from all the other ancillary 
stuff that's owned by Warner now, and uh, there's a lot. I think it, I think it's a compelling thing. I like how you are putting your bets down for the new stuff, which is leaving me to pick the guys who have been uh, doing this for a while, yeah, and have been playing this game. But I'm gonna. And I'm going to be boring, and I'm going to pick Amazon Prime Video next. I think because it's with free. The, well, it, it's not free, right? Like it's not. You got to be a, a Prime member or pay whatever some some annual fee for it. But um, I I think Amazon is aware that this is a period where everything's in flux and it's all to play for and that they're better positioned than anyone but Netflix right now. So I think, and we've seen it in what was it a year year and a half ago where jeff bezos basically said i want the next game of thrones i spend a lot of money to and they did with the lord of the rings thing but they're spending a lot of money to try to find blockbusters they want everybody to want prime video and they've got new leadership there they fired their old management they got new leadership in place they're making interesting and i think good creative decisions we'll see what they come up with but i think uh the next year or two we're gonna see the fruits of what they've been doing at at, at prime video and i think they they see an opportunity also a a threat right which is that the threat here is that these other companies are going to come in and kind of elbow them and they're going to end up sort of like fourth or fifth place Mm -hmm. and so for both reasons i think amazon is going to be um they're gonna they're they're gonna try to shine in the next year or two lord of the rings could be big for them could be Right, or it could be really expensive and embarrassing, but yeah. it'll probably be big. It, it has the possibility to be like, "Hey, you like Game of Thrones, right? We have a mm-hmm. show that's kind of like that, and that that could yeah. turn a lot of heads." Yeah, Warner Warner Media is going to have a show that actually is that when they do the spinoff. <laughs> but until I know, then, but until then, <laughs> yeah. But you can have more dragons. Everyone likes more dragons in their mm-hmm. life, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, everybody. You can never have too many dragons in your life, Mike. Hulu. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Hulu. I'm going for Hulu. Um, more Disney in Mike's life. More Disney, more Disney. corporate synergy I happening. think the good thing about Hulu, they're going to go international, right, which they've not done before. They still have content that people want to see, and that's gonna and Disney's going to fill it full of, the, full of stuff that's for adults. Like, why not? Right, like it seems like a good bet for a lot of people. Uh, Hulu has, has always been something that's been pretty popular anyway, um, and I think it's only going to become more so once Disney finally takes it over. It gets all of the uh, so John Landgraf is the guy who runs the FX networks, which is uh, you know obviously formerly owned by Fox, now owned by Disney. Super smart guy, good programmer, has done lots of great content on FX and FXX, and they he's basically in charge of that part of the business which i think is going to be feeding hulu as well and i think hulu is going to be a really you know it's going to slough off it's sort of like we're reruns of shows that are on broadcast and disney is going to make a big investment to turn it into the streaming service for stuff that is not fitting with the disney plus brand things that are a little more adult um and i think it is uh i i'm i'm optimistic about it so i think that's a good choice i think that the kind of content that john landgraf has done at fx um could translate to a really compelling fun streaming service with hulu so i hope that's what we get but i I think you know disney and and they do have international aims for that service but they've got to get it up and running 
you know, and and change it over in in America first too. But yeah, it's uh, funny. Yeah, like I think there are shows that like so like Adina's been trying to watch the show Rami. Oh yeah, which I've you seen recommended. That. We yeah, can't it's good. get it. Yeah, because it's a Hulu original, yeah. right? And they haven't sold it in the UK to nope. anybody. It may be, and that may be a sign, right, that they've decided yeah. to hold back yes. on some of this stuff because they want to do. They want. They're going to launch Hulu in the UK. That's mm-hmm. the easiest place for them let's to launch get, it. Right? Let's not get ourselves into a mess here. Let's yeah. just yeah. Wait. We're going to just hold on. Like, what? What? What is ITV going to pay us for, Rami? Nah, mm-hmm. nah. We'll just hold on to it, and then, and then it's it for people in the US who have Hulu. It's a, it's a good, it's a good little comedy in the this whole line of sort of comedies from people who didn't used to get to make tv shows uh with their perspective on life it's it's a it's a guy in in new jersey who's a muslim and he is uh kind of like trying to figure out ways of living his life between being devout and also being a a modern dude who's dating and it's a good it's good it's a good show it's very good um i so i got a story mike i got a story a little little and this is actually news related i'll throw it out here which is something funny happened this week there's a TV show, there's a sitcom called AP Bio on NBC Broadcast Network. And they did two seasons. It was a very low-rated show. They did two seasons of it. Um, uh, Patton Oswalt is in it, and uh, they canceled it. And Patton Oswalt started this whole, like, save AP Bio thing, as you do whenever anybody has a show canceled. They try to get it saved somewhere. Because it worked for B- Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's like... Yeah, and it worked for The Expanse and it worked for Star Trek, right? It, like right. literally, they, people have been saving shows for 50 years now. <laughs> uh, it all, But with social media and stuff, it always happens. Somebody loses the show. There is a campaign. It usually goes nowhere. Sometimes it goes somewhere. And with all these streaming services around, there's like more places. It's not just like maybe another network will want it. Now it's like maybe Amazon can save it. Maybe Netflix can save it. Whatever. So... They, they did this Save AP Bio thing. Uh, but something really funny happened, which is this week, the forthcoming untitled NBC Universal streaming service. Oh, let's call it NBC Plus. <laughs> NBC, NBC Max. Min. NBC Big. <laughs> NBC Good. NBC Mucho. Plus. Uh, they picked up season three of AP Bio. Now they, and they said that they had to. They're going to have to renegotiate the contracts because the contracts all lapsed. There's a the way TV contracts work is beyond a certain date, uh, all the actors and stuff are like let out of their deals and they can go find other work. Um, but before a certain pickup date, you know they have to make themselves available to work the next year on the next season. That's, that's sort of how those contracts work. And they, the, those all lapsed, but they uh, the the cast seems to be inclined to sign new deals and come back and they're going to bring it back and. Um, Okay. So crazy this story. So I have I have two I have two things I want to mention about this story that I find bizarre. Um one of which is uh NBC makes the show with Lorne Michaels uh, Broadway video. So it's an NBC Universal joint to begin with. It aired on the NBC broadcast network. NBC canceled it. And then a month or two later NBC's own streaming service saved it from cancellation. Okay. Let's let's there's more here. There's more. I really want to believe that this was somebody's cunning plan. Oh, I, I think it's just I think it's just incompetence, but no, anyway, I know so, that's what it is. <laughs> so what what you're saying is you let all the contracts lapse and then somebody in some other building somewhere at NBC was like, "Oh, 
I like that show. We could we could pick up that show. It's like, well, we already let the contracts lapse. Like you canceled it, and now you're bringing it back, and you waited so long that you have to make new deals with all of the actors. It's weird. And I'll, I'll throw another piece on 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 this story, which is, um, according to the news story I read, it was their best performing digital show in season one, and in season two it was their second best performing digital show behind Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which had come over from Fox. In other words, it got like an 0.5 rating on the network, but after 100 days of streaming, its rating was like 5.6 or something, which is spectacularly good, actually. It is a It, it shows that demographically, in the key advertising demographic, 18 to 35-year-olds, it was actually pretty popular, but, they weren't, but the 18 to 35-year-olds weren't watching it on NBC. They were streaming it. Okay, well, that explains why NBC Universal's untitled streaming service might want this show. What it doesn't explain is why they canceled it and then sat there for two months and then brought it back. I don't understand. So what I'm saying is maybe NBC Universal is not being run really well right now. And that, that all said, I like that show. And uh, I'm going to pick the NBC Universal unnamed streaming service because who knows? The office will be there, I guess. Well, I'm Brooklyn Nine-Nine and... <laughs> You know, like yeah, no. it, it is yeah. for that reason. Like NBC actually have some of the better comedy content for the age group of people that enjoy streaming services, right? And then they also have a bunch of other good stuff. Depend. I mean, I don't know what's going to be in their catalog, right? Like, will they get Thirty Rock? Uh, probably, Maybe, probably right? at some point, yes. And yes. the office, right? Like I just yeah. figured, like they have an, they have pretty good co- comedy content, and yeah. I think and the, we'll do. Pretty and they'll well get for the that. good place eventually yep. at some point, yep. and and they'll get Parks and Rec eventually, probably. Like again, they're going to have to wait for the deals with Netflix to time out and grab them back and pay for them and all of that, pay themselves for them. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think there's I think there's a lot of good content at NBC. I'm not really sure they know what they're doing yet, but they don't. Uh, when I look at everything else that's on here, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give NBC Universal a flyer. They got a lot of of content, not just on their broadcast network, but they also own a bunch of cable, so they got a lot of content there that they'll that they'll roll in here. Um, Sci-Fi Channel, USA Network, those are all part of NBC Universal, so they got a lot of other stuff too. The remaining list includes some services I've heard of by name and services I've literally never heard of and uh-huh. a sports option. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, if I'm picking for my own list, I don't know what to choose. If I'm picking for what I think will be popular, I'll pick ESPN Plus because it's probably going to do pretty well. Um, so let me just... I'm just going to say ESPN Plus because like, okay. why not? I, merely right. to just bring up the fact that like... Don't forget Disney has another one. It's got cricket. It's I'm got sure cricket it in the US. Sure it it's does. It's got cricket. It's got it's got volleyball. It's got lots of uh oh, my two favorite sports. Cricket and volleyball. How did you know? No, so you're you're just loading up on Disney, which is I think it does highlight Disney's strategy here, which is they're doing three different streaming services. Maybe they'll do a bundle at some point, but three different streaming services three targeted at different audiences. Different streaming yes. services. Which none of these other companies can do. No one else can manage that. And the idea is that they've got right now they've got like, you know, four ESPN channels, three, four ESPN branded linear TV channels, and they still don't have enough uh, space for all the content that they can get. So I think this ESPN plus is ultimately the future of ESPN, like as linear becomes less important. 
it would not surprise me if they start dropping linear channels. They ESPN U and ESPN News go away um, at some point when the the dynamics of the of the the way that they get paid change, uh, or maybe they keep them forever. But like the future of the ESPN brand is probably in this service, which will increasingly accumulate sports content right now it's a lot of kind of edge cases like i said i think cricket is on there there are like smaller college basketball games and smaller college football games on there but they've also done some interesting things like wimbledon hey mike i'm talking about something from london now uh wimbledon they had matches on espn and espn2 but there are a lot more matches that go on at Wimbledon. There's there's matches uh, in the doubles. There's matches that are happening in other courts in the singles tournaments. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was they put matches on ESPN and ESPN2. All the other matches that were going on were on ESPN+. And I thought that's a good example of like, if you want to see that match that's on court two at Wimbledon, you can, but you have to watch ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. And I know that ESPN doesn't get it, but this is like an example of something else that could work like this would be like the Olympics, right? I know that NBC has the Olympics in the US, but yeah, um, which interestingly, that could be good for NBC Universal too, if they keep the yeah, Olympics. I, I would not be surprised if that's exactly what they do is take a bunch of Olympic feeds and put them in their service. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, they will put main stuff on NBC and on their NBC networks, but they will probably be like, do we really want to put the basketball on MSNBC (laughs) or just put it on the streaming service and say, sign up for our streaming service to get it. And, and if they launch it, I'll point out their plan is to launch it end of this year, beginning of next year. And the summer Olympics are next summer. So yeah. Yeah. I think I think you make a good point. I'm gonna. We're only picking eight, I guess, mm-hmm. and you're already picking things that you don't even know. <laughs> um, I am going there. There are a bunch of niche cable services, some of which have premium linear channels that they also are now trying to reposition into uh, streaming services, like Showtime and uh, Epics is a good example of that, and Stars is a good example of that. Um, I, well, okay. I'm a Star Trek fan, so I'm going to pick CBS All Access. This is why I didn't pick it, because I felt like it would oh, just thank you. be mean if I chose, because <laughs> this is one I've mean. heard of, but like yeah. I've never seen it and don't really care about Star Trek, so it felt mean to pick it. I'm tempted by Acorn and BritBox, which are two competing British and European-themed um, or Commonwealth, British Commonwealth and European channels where they get, they get, uh, it's not just UK stuff, but it's stuff from Ireland and Australia and uh, sometimes from other parts of Europe uh, with uh, dubbing or, or mostly with subtitles, which is kind of fun because there's a lot of, you know, I, I was in visiting my friend Anthony in the UK and he, he and his partner were watching a French detective series that they really like. And I had a moment where I thought, this is not available in America in any form, but it probably will be on one of these niche streaming services if it's not already. And so I like those services. I'm not going to pick them here, but I think I think there is a place for these uh, smaller streaming services that are not fighting it out with the the big ones and that they have lots of really good value. Something like BrickBox, which has the whole Doctor Who catalog, or Acorn, which has some originals as well as a really good selection of, of, uh, of stuff from... UK and and Commonwealth and uh, other parts of Europe. But I pick CBS All Access for two reasons. One is Star Trek. In North America or in no, in the US, it is where you get all the Star Trek. All the original Star Trek that they're doing goes on CBS All Access. So it's basically the Star Trek service for me. Great. And 
Um, I've actually come to find it valuable for some other stuff that's on CBS, the TV network, which I never want to watch as a network. But because they own this, they put all their episodes of all their shows commercial free because I'm paying for the commercial free option. And so basically, if there's a show I watch on CBS like Survivor or The Amazing Race or my daughter's watching a couple of things, their catalog is just there commercial free. And so we watched Survivor last year for the first time in many years. And we just watched the episodes when they dropped. When they, It was basically when they were broadcast, but we watched the commercial-free versions that were on CBS All Access. It was a great bonus. So I think there's some value there. I think they're going to obviously need to step up their originals. And um, what's ultimately going to happen if I'm forecasting out a year or two is the people who own CBS also own Viacom, which is like Comedy Central and a bunch of channels, MTV. It feels that if they don't get bought by a larger company, at the very least, those two companies are going to get merged back together. And CBS All Access is going to either get that content or it's going to get transformed into a different name that's going to have all the CBS content and all the Paramount stuff and uh, and MTV and Comedy Central. And it's all going to bulk up into something that's more compelling than maybe CBS is today. And that leaves off Acorn, Britbox, Crackle, Criterion, Crunchyroll, Epics, Canopy, Showtime, Shudder, and Stars. By the way, if you like horror stuff, Shudder. There's a whole niche streaming service for people who are fans of horror. So that's pretty cool. I like that idea. I'm surprised that there's not a like a sci-fi niche streaming service, but there probably will be someday. All right, let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to round out today's episode. But before we do, let's thank our final sponsor, and that is ExpressVPN. When you're preparing to travel abroad this summer, there's going to be a lot of things on your checklist. But there's one very important thing that could be missing that you don't want to be missing an app that's going to keep you safe and secure online when you're away and it's expressvpn expressvpn doesn't just encrypt your data while you surf the internet in public uh, in a public airport or hotel wi-fi it also lets you stream and access content that normally would be blocked off in that country so you can unblock all of your favorite websites and browse as if you were at home it also works in the reverse too you know maybe if you're a, you're a place where you can't see specific content ExpressVPN can help you get around that, which I think is really lovely. ExpressVPN has a powerful encryption that secures your data. Super easy to use and runs in the background. You just download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. It also uses cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there are no logs of what you're doing online. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I use ExpressVPN whenever I travel, and I also do use it at home. And For example, I want to read an article on a website and they're like, oh no, you can't use it because you're in Europe. Well, haha, I can use ExpressVPN and I can. So take that. Don't travel this summer without downloading ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash upgrade. That's expressvpn.com slash upgrade for three months free of a one-year package. Go there now. It's one thing of your summer checklist. That is expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Jason. Should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions? Yes, let's do it. First one comes from Michael. Michael wants to know, how many passes do you have in your wallet on iOS? And have any passes fully replaced carrying the physical counterparts to them? Um, so I have I have four cards, like debit credit cards in my wallet, but I don't think that's what they're asking. But I do have right. those. And no, I still carry my cards with me. And then I also have four passes 
Um, I have something called Priority Pass, which is this like airport lounge thing that I got as a bonus of a credit card. I have uh, the Apple Business Card. So, you know, like if you have a business account with Apple, uh, they give you a little QR code now that you can scan. So you don't need to give them all of your details every time. Um, I have one flight, like airline company thing, you know, like a rewards thing from Air Air Miles thing. And then I have one pass to, uh, have you ever heard of Secret Cinema? No. It is a, um, it's an event, you will probably see me sharing pictures of these once, where they recreate a movie and you go and experience it. So I've done like Back to the Future and uh, Star Wars. They're doing uh, Casino Royale and we're going later this year. So that's an actual ticket, not a pass. Uh, but that's all I have, and the two of them I don't have physical cards for, so I guess, and the priority pass one, I n- never actually use it. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't do public transit anymore. Although the buses that I used to take, I think, still have not been upgraded. I believe Bart in the in uh, the Bay Area now has the ability, but they don't do a pass. I think it's like the Tube in London. I think they're just doing Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a credit card. Mm-hmm. I do have one non-credit card pass in my uh, iOS and watchOS, and it's ChargePoint, which is a uh, electric car charger network. And they have a uh, they have an NFC-based reader on their charging stations. So if I go to Target and want to char- park my car in the in the electric car space and charge it while I'm there, and they give you a free like a free hour or two of charging while you're at Target. Um, but you still have to tap with your account. And I can do that with my phone or my watch. And instead of like running a card or something, most of the those services have like a little card with a swipe or with an NFC in it, but uh, ChargePoint already has it as a pass. Um, but most of my wallet is, is still like scanning stuff. Um, I would love for there to be more NFC stuff. I'm excited, by the way, about shortcuts uh, letting you read NFC stickers in iOS 13. Um, that's That's going to be fun. But uh, right now, my wallet is mostly populated with uh, things like plane tickets and baseball tickets because mo- all the baseball stuff has really moved. A lot of the sporting event stuff has moved to away from paper tickets to digital tickets. Uh, and I still have my World Series ticket from 2014 in my Apple oh, wallet. See, I delete all my tickets because I hate how busy it gets. I wished that there was an archive. I, I, I agree with you. I wish it was a little bit easier to delete them in mass. And also I wish that there was an archive. I did take a screenshot of my World Series ticket just mm-hmm. in case I lose it, but I have not lost it yet. It's still what in there, even though it's fi- almost five years ago. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that would be uh, just terrible. But instead I look at it and I smile every now and then. It's like Good. World Series, game five. It's like, yay, that's fun. So uh, so yeah, but but in terms of actual passes, only the electric car charger one so far. Tim wants to know, Mike, what are your thoughts on American breakfasts? And Jason, what are your thoughts on English breakfasts? You go first. I love American breakfasts. I like all of the different foods that are sweet. Um, And specifically, that seem to only really, well, popularized by American breakfasts, pancakes and waffles and French toast and stuff like that. I mean, brunch food really is what I like the most. And I think the Americans do that better than anybody else. Nice. I love English breakfasts. Uh, uh, You get, get some English breakfast tea. You got the you got some eggs, you got some sausage or some streaky bacon or uh, another kind of bacon that tastes good that they call bacon that isn't quite our bacon but it's still good. Uh, you might have a potato. Mm-hmm. Might, might have a potato of some sort 
little potato triangle or potato blob of some kind. That I like all that cooked potato stuff. And then there's like tomatoes, and I'm not interested in those at Beans. all. Beans. So big, big thumbs down. Beans is weird because that is not a breakfast food here, although it's the same food. But you know what? Beans are good. I like beans. I'll eat them in the morning. I don't care. I just don't want your tomatoes. That Tomatoes at breakfast. I mean, I reject tomatoes anyway. Why do you have to ruin a perfectly good breakfast with tomatoes? Fried so bread. thumbs down on that. Oh, yeah, the fried bread is good. See, this is the sad thing about breakfast that I've realized in the last few months, because for those who didn't listen to that John Syracuse episode back a few a, a while ago, I can't eat stuff with gluten in it anymore. I am I am officially off of gluten forever of my life. And that means that uh, breakfast is way harder than it used to be because yep. so much of breakfast is breads. Yeah. Well, because I I'm mostly don't eat carbs. Yeah, right. So it's the same thing. Same deal. Breakfast is the hardest meal. <laughs> Right. So when we were in Boston for Dan's wedding, um, we went to a diner and, and I found out that the, the one thing that uh, makes me happy uh, uh, that's a traditional breakfast food that I can still get very easily is eggs. So give me like two eggs scrambled with some bacon. I can't have the toast, sadly, but I could have like bacon or sausage still or something good. like that and some tea and I'm happy. So, yeah, breakfast is good. And oatmeal. I like oatmeal, too, but that's not that's just a breakfast that you can have. Scottish. Steven says, I got an Apple TV 4K last November and I like it. What do you think the upgrade cycle is for this product? It seems like they are, Apple has been updating the hardware every few years. Uh, I feel like Apple only updates that hardware when it absolutely needs to. So they gave, gave it that 4K HDR upgrade and it supports all the 4K HDR, Dolby Atmos, all of that. So I'm not sure why they need to upgrade it again, right? Like it seemed, it's actually seems over-engineered, right? And I think they do that because it's just going to stay there forever. I also think they're less likely to do it now they're putting all of the stuff on TVs. That's true, too. That's true. I feel like it's more likely that they would make a new product that was that was just a cheaper version of mm-hmm. the old product, that, that they spec'd down, that, that they would spec it up again. I, I think it's an over-engineered, overpriced product, and they'll probably just let it sit there for a long time. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. I don't think it's going to change until like 8K is a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think so. I think it's going to take some huge standards thing, unless they have a serious problem with performance where people are trying to run games on it or something and it's not working, but it seems really over-engineered for that kind of stuff, for the kind of stuff you do on that device, on device. So I just can't see it. I think it's just going to be with us for a long time. Jose wants to know, what is the one feature or use case that will help me decide between whether I buy an iPad Air or an 11-inch iPad Pro? I was struggling with this one, other than to say that I like the new pencil a lot better than the old pencil, but there's got to be more than that. Do you have any thoughts about this one? Pencil's one of them. Overall hardware design is another. It's like, very, very nice. The new I, I, design is beautiful. I know that, that it's, like a, it's not necessarily compelling for everybody, but the 11-inch iPad Air, I think, is one of the most beautiful products Apple has ever made. So if that is important to you, it is thin and light, uh, which is really good. It is powerful. It is going to run a lot of the iOS 13 stuff better. Um, th- those are kind of your typical things. It really does depend on what you're using your iPad for, honestly. But if you are thinking it's a device that you want to do some, like you, you want to maybe try and do some work stuff on, then maybe look at the Pro. If not, maybe look at the Air. But if you want to do art stuff, the Apple Pencil the improvements to the Apple Pencil are so huge for the iPad Pro, for the new one, yeah. than it was for it's the just, iPad Air. I feel like it's just not, with the new Air and the, and, the, and the Pro, 
the differences are not as stark as they used to be because no. there's a pencil, but it's not as good. There's a keyboard, but it's not quite as good. Like, it's close. Closer. The screen is smaller. You have to be a heavy user of one of the new features, or like one of the differences, right? The differences, yeah. as you say, being I think so. keyboard, pencil, overall performance. Otherwise, you can save yourself some money. Yes. If you think you're going to be a heavy user in one of those areas, then go for the Pro. Otherwise, go for the Air. Yeah. Honestly, same as laptops, right? Yeah. Like you go for the pro if you think you're going to be a heavy user of one of the things that it does better than a MacBook Air would. Um, Anthony has a question for me. Uh, says, All right, Mike, so now that you question prefer... for Mike. Now that you prefer mechanical oh, watches you. to the Apple Watch, which mechanical watches are you shopping for now and or which mechanical watches would you recommend? I would like to recommend a brand that I enjoy. I have one of their watches and I'm going to add another one to my collection at some point this year called Farer. F-A-R-E-R. They are a British brand. And I think that from design and price, they're one of the like more interesting brands that I've found. And Marco agrees with me. So like I felt good about that when I found them. I was like, what do you think about these co- this company? It's like, oh, they're really good for price and design. I said, that's what I thought. Uh, Marco is obviously my, my watch guru, right? Uh, so I would recommend them. I, they have like one of their watches that I wear. The, the watch that I have of theirs that I wear a lot, um, which I really, really love. It is called the Pendine. And it's a chronograph quartz watch, and it's cost five hundred pounds, so it's not cheap, right? But it's not big watch expensive, and I think that for the price, it is beautiful, and I love it very much. So, mm-hmm. I recommend them as a as a really interesting company uh, to look at if you are interested in this type of stuff. Uh, in regards to other watches, like I always have my high, my like sights set high on something, but there's nothing in my near future right now. There's a lot of mechanical watch talk right now because they've been talking about the moon watch uh, for the for the mm-hmm. moon landing anniversary that the only mm-hmm. officially approved uh, watch for outer space use is the Omega Speedmaster um, where they wore on like Gemini and Ed White wore it on his spacewalk and I think and then they took it to the moon. Um, the problem with it is that it is just a giant many faced clunky thing that even as somebody who does own a few like i own a couple of mechanical watches as well as my apple watch I'm like this kind of watch the you know lots of features big heavy aviator astronaut watch has never really appealed to me but uh people have been talking about it which i think is kind of fun and uh and pointing out that this is a product from 50 years ago that is still available which is not going to be the case with computer watches no last question today Lax Dude asks, with iPad OS, can I now get playback speed control in YouTube via Safari? This is a key factor in me not buying an iPad. Uh, yeah, but you can also do it in the iOS app. The iOS app has speed controls, so... You could have bought an iPad by now. You could have bought an iPad. Lax Dude, is what's, what's stopping you? If you, when you're watching a video, there's like a, some buttons at the top, I think like you press like a three-dot button and you get speed controls. Like it's in there. You can do it. It's not as easy to find, but it's something you can do. But if you're watching Safari, yes, you now can get access to all of the standard controls because of Safari's desktop browsing and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, that about does it for this week's episode, which is just in time because I'm losing my voice again. You made again. it. Your voice is still kind sort of, of working. 
If you want to send in a question for a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and it will be included in our spreadsheet and maybe picked. Thank you to everybody that does that. We really appreciate it. If you want to find uh, show notes for this episode, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 255. Jason is online at sixcolors.com, and he's at jsnell. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks to Moo, Linode, and ExpressVPN for their support of this show. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 